Well, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us this morning online. I appreciate everybody that is able to gather with us. My name is Pastor Samuel. I'm the associate pastor here at New Hope Presbyterian Church. I have the privilege of preaching with you this morning. Um, And some of us are here present in the sanctuary, but many of you are online. And uh, we're in the chat with you right now, uh, Pastor Tommy and myself, and and maybe even some of the other congregation members who are here uh, present. So, But if you're online live, right now. Please say hello. Say hi. Let us see your names. Let us know that you're still a part of our community. It's so wonderful. Every Sunday morning when I get up and I get to to get online and I get to see all those names and be reminded of your faces and of our time together and looking forward as we begin to open up more and more to seeing more and more of you in person as you are able. Uh, Just a couple of brief announcements before we jump into the sermon series. You probably saw some of these in the announcement loop that was going on right before this, but we are looking for a part-time wedding coordinator position. Now, many of you know that is a position that's filled right now, of course, uh, but that we also have uh, places for a couple of other part-time wedding coordinators, and the idea is that we could timeshare that position. So if you are have any interest at all in being kind of our liaison uh, with these outside parties um, as the restrictions loosen up on a, and we're allowed to host weddings again, if you have any interest at all, please contact me, Samuel at newhopekent.org. The other thing is that uh, we have a new Bible study that began, a new men's Bible study that began this last week. Uh, hope that some of you were able to participate in it. And if you're just now hearing about it for the first time, remember, check your Wednesday loops, those e-newsletters, or again, you can contact me and I can get you uh, connected to Ed Baldwin, who's the elder who is leading that Bible study. And then the last thing is I just want to encourage you, please keep submitting your prayer requests, no matter who you are, no matter where you've come from. Uh, We get prayer requests uh, from, yes, our own congregation, but also throughout the world as people tune in. And so please give us the privilege to pray with you and for you. You can go to our website, newhopekent.org. And that's where you can submit any of those prayer requests and we can pray with you and for you. Uh, Again, whether you're a believer or not a believer, no matter if you're part of this congregation or not, please just let us pray for you. Well, today we continue our sermon series. We're getting towards the end, if you can believe it. Um, And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 18 verses 1 through 4. And if you're if you're following along in the Jesus Storybook Bible, that is the friend of little children. We're going to be looking at that story, page 256. If you have kids, I encourage you to read that story either before or after our, our time together. Uh, but again, that's Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 4. So now as we enter into our time to hear God's word, let us go to him in prayer. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, We ask now that as we approach your word, that you would speak words of life to us. That though the cost and the way to be a disciple of Jesus is difficult, um, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our minds to how we might follow him more closely as you speak to us today. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I am the greatest. I am the greatest. I can't, I couldn't help when I'm 
literally our Bible passage. I'm going to read it for you in just a moment. It, it is just titled, Who is the Greatest? And of course, that rings in my head that famous speech by, um, by Muhammad Ali. And I'm looking, there are a number of other people that you might think, well, hey, Muhammad Ali, you know, he was great. But let me tell you about uh, Michael Jordan. He was the greatest athlete of all time. Or maybe Bo Jackson. Or you can, if you're in your chat right now, you can maybe shout out, who do you think is the greatest sports person of all time? How do we define who is the greatest sports person of all time? What about some of these other greats? What about the greatest in business? Who do we define as being the greatest in the world of business? Well, I looked up Forbes, and of course, some of these names are very familiar to you. Warren Buffett, $73.5 billion in net worth. I'm, on, I'm right behind him there. Mark Zuckerberg, uh, the CEO of Facebook, is one of the most wealthy and influential people, according to Forbes, in the world. In fact, more than one billion people are active on Facebook. If you took the pop, if you counted that as their population, they would be on the level of the most populous countries in the world. China and India only have just over that amount. And then, of course, number one, the greatest is our own Jeff Bezos. He used to be Bill Gates. He's in number two now. We don't care. But Jeff Bezos with a net worth of $179 billion as the CEO of Amazon. I don't think this last year has hurt him any. And to put that into, into further perspective, Bezos' net worth is bigger than the GDP, the gross, how much money is being churned in Hungary or Ukraine, according to data from the uh, IMF, International Monetary Fund. This single man has more net value than the uh, the GDP of, of entire countries. What about, uh, speaking of social media, what about social media? Who's the greatest? According to social media, I looked up some of these. Twitter followers, 129 million Twitter followers. At the top of Twitter is Barack Obama. Instagram, 266 million followers. Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, I'm not very up on social things. I'm guess, I think that's a soccer player. TikTok, I know this one. Uh, Charlie, I don't know how to say her last name. D'Amelio. I'm just going to call her Charlie. 100.2 million followers on this TikTok that, that many kids are on, many people are on, and that I'm on today. What about politics? Who is the greatest in the world? Well, we would say, of course, that the office of the president of the United States, right? That is the greatest, highest position. What about church? What are the greatest? Who's the greatest church? Well, I did some research and it seems Andy Stanley's North Point in, um, I think that's in Georgia, 38,589, I, I like how they have it down to like the nine, 38,589 on a Sunday. That's their regular Sunday attendance. Saddleback, way behind them with only 23,000. And of course, both of those in the United States are nothing when you look at the Yoido Full Gospel Church in South Korea with an average weekly of attendance, get ready, 480,000 people all every Sunday. I, 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 don't, I don't understand. How do we define the greatest? How do we define whatever realm or whatever area that we're talking about? And specifically, when we talk about people and organizations, how do we, from a biblical worldview, define 
Who is the greatest? And specifically in section 18 that is called Who is the Greatest? What we are looking at in this chapter of Matthew, chapter 18, is what life in the Messianic community would look like. And so we see this beginning a series of teachings by Jesus as he's getting closer and closer to the cross and getting closer to leaving his disciples behind. He needs to explain to them what this community, what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like and who is the greatest. And so as we talk about the kingdom of God today, Jesus is going to use a metaphor for children, but I really want us uh, as adults to focus in on the discipleship aspect. And what what is this, this defining characteristic that we as kingdom followers are supposed to have and what that looks like in our individual lives, what that looks like us corporately together as a community, and then also, of course, what that looks like with Jesus as the king of the kingdom. So the things, keep think, keep this imagery in your mind of the kingdom, just like a medieval context, right? Because this is the imagery that is used throughout the Bible when we're talking about the kingdom of God. So what we'll talk about is who is the greatest in the kingdom who, what the colony of the kingdom looks like, and who is, of course, the king of the kingdom. So again, let me uh, encourage you, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. I'm reading from the ESV, and this section is called, Who is the Greatest? Just the first four verses, four verses there. At that time, the disciples who came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord, and we say thanks be to God. So a number of things. One, we need to understand what um, this metaphor is that Jesus is using and he is talking about. Because he's not saying literally we need to find a, you know, a time machine and, and become children again. Just like when we're reborn, we don't need to re-enter the womb. He's talking about children as a metaphor. And what exactly is he getting at? Well, if we understand how children were looked at and viewed upon in the ancient Near East and what the disciples are asking about. The disciples are asking, hey, we're coming close to Jerusalem. Jesus is about to set up his kingdom. If they believe him about him dying there, even more importantly, they need to know what is the hierarchy? If you're the king, we got that Jesus, but what about the rest of your government? How is that going to work out? What is my social status going to be? And so the disciples are asking about social status and hierarchy. And so Jesus takes an example from their social um, situation, which is a child. And in the ancient Near East, uh, maybe you've heard this phrase before, children should be seen and not heard. Um, that's a old school saying. Uh, maybe you haven't heard it. Some of you younger folks haven't heard that, but there, was, there used to be this concept that children were... Um, we're not supposed to be the center of attention all the time and, and that they were not supposed to interfere in adult affairs. And that mindset multiplied by 10 is the mindset in the ancient Near East. Children, um, at least from an objective perspective, could not fight in wars or battles. They couldn't lead at all. They didn't have enough time um, or age to have any sort of wisdom or insight. 
Um, they couldn't pile up their own riches. They hadn't been around long enough. At the end of the day, children in the ancient Near East uh, counted for very, very little. They are small, uh, which makes them useful for getting into tight spots and maybe specific types of jobs. But other than that, children were pretty much, there's nothing they can really do, uh, practically speaking, until they come of age. And so what Jesus is saying is that in order to be great in the kingdom of God, that we have to accept a position in the social scale, which is like that of children. And in the ancient Near East, the children were the very, very lowest. In fact, today they are, they should be. I know some families are allowing children to make all sorts of decisions, but they should be the lowest in the hierarchy of authority and decision making. We just had our son Ezra's birthday um, uh, yesterday and Nora, our youngest three-year-old, she came in, Ezra turned eight. Nora came in and she saw the birthday cake and the three-year-old said, that's, oh, it's a birthday cake. Can I eat it? And we said, Abs- absolutely not. And she said, but why not? And I said, well, because it's your brother's birthday. It's for him. And her response was, but I want it. And I said, but why? And she says, because I want it. And that's actually a, a three-year-old's reasoning uh, boiled down to a T is their decision-making skills is based on I want it, uh, which Nora tells me quite often. So children should not be in positions of authority or decision-making. They are in the very lowest rung of your household, and they are in the very lowest rung of society. They have no self-determination, and they submit to the will of an adult who knows best. And so what Jesus is doing is incredibly radical. He's taken, um, and you see Jesus does this over and over, he's taken the lowest in society, a child, and he said, in order to be the highest in the kingdom of God, you have to be the lowest according to the kingdom of man. There are, he is calling for such a radical inversion of their natural assumptions about leadership and importance that he needs shock tactics. In other words, the way in which the disciples have been raised and grown, the way in which you and I have been surrounded by the world and the way in which government works, the way in which businesses work, the way in which society works is completely opposite with regards to who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus has to shake them up And he does this radical thing by saying, you have to be like children. And there are a number of passages in the New Testament where Jesus repeatedly says this. I'm not going to read all of them to you, but that the way to be great in the kingdom of God is to take the lowest station, the lowest status, the lowest position like that of a child or like that of a servant. Another passage, Matthew 23, verse 8 says this. You're not to be called rabbi or master, for you only have one master and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. So he's kind of setting it up, right? You are not above your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then verse 11, the greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself 
will be exalted. So we're talking about the kingdom of God. Those who are greatest are those who are servants. And the imagery, again, picturing this kingdom of God, this medieval sort of scenario where you have a king and you have different sorts of stations and status. Picture yourself as a son or daughter of the king. You are a knight of the realm. And your job as the knight of the realm, the way these medieval setups would work, would be to implement the values of the kingdom in the area for which you have responsibility for. And so if you were a lord or a lady, you would have a territory, a set territory, and that territory would be where you have an area of influence. And so picture today that you are a knight of the realm, a royal daughter or son of God. You are in the kingdom of God. You have been welcomed into it. And the question that we ask ourselves is where are we going to implement in our lives, in our areas of influence, the kingdom values that we see demonstrated and taught by Jesus? And so this value that Jesus is teaching here is that the world is completely different, that the world outside the boundaries of the kingdom of God values self-exaltation and does not value humbling yourself. Whereas when you cross the border and you come into the kingdom of God, those values are completely and totally reversed. It's a completely different culture, or it should be, where those who lower themselves and serve others are exalted, and those who exalt themselves are brought down and humbled. And so you ask yourself, how am I in my area individually in being the great Being the greatest in the kingdom of God. How am I having an area or a realm of influence? And in my area of a realm, in the places that I've been given, excuse me, by God himself, how am I going to demonstrate those kingdom values? How am I going to be great? How am I going to be like a child? How am I going to be like a servant? I encourage you, look at your family. Look at your neighborhood, look at your workplace, look at your social circles or the games that you play and ask, how does the world define greatness in these situations? Who is the greatest in your family? Who is the greatest in your neighborhood? And ask yourself, how do I flip the script, flip the values and demonstrate the values of the kingdom of God in the places that we live, work and play? And the question that really comes down to us, because this is something that is so oppressive in our culture um, and in the world that we have to ask, are we intentionally discipling our children and teaching them that no, it is not those who promote themselves that are going to be the greatest. It is those who serve. Is it all about you and you winning and you getting the trophies? Or is it all about how you serve and humble yourself in front of others? Let me give you an example of being great. And before um, I play this video, I have to explain to you what uh, mums and garters are. I don't fully understand myself, but this young man mentions them. Um, and so what mums and garters are, are, I believe it's either a homecoming or a prom tradition uh, that I believe started in Texas. I never saw any when I was living in Texas, but basically there are these very, I'll put a picture of, of, of very ornate things 
that would be part of the, the dance night. And so as humans tend to do, uh, as time went on, people started getting really, really extravagant with these things and comparing themselves to each other's and saying, how can I have the greatest mum possible? And so you get these elaborate, out of control, thousands of dollars being spent on whatever a mum is because it's part of this social setting in which it's, 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 a, it's a marker. It's a way to prove that you're great and better and amazing and awesome. And so this young man, uh, his name's Blake Mankin, tells a story about how he is trying to reconcile the values of the kingdom of God, which are servanthood, humility, and being like a child, and what he saw going on in his regular everyday life with regard to these mums and garters. Watch this video. Okay, are you good? Homecoming comes once a year, and there's this competition where whoever has the biggest mum gets announced at the pep rally. It just turned into this big status thing where people were trying to outbuy each other, and I thought, what if my high school could do something with this excessive tradition to give people in the Sudan clean water. I was born to two incredible parents who have loved me very well. Um, I have a father who makes a decent amount of money. And so I guess I have had the, the childhood and, and grown up like the world has probably said that is a perfect childhood and perfect way to grow up. I step off a plane coming from a, a city where most of the moms drive Lexuses and most of the kids get new cars on their 16th birthday and I step out on the plane and I see that most people are walking. We drive through the, through the village and I see a, a girl bathing in the middle of the street because she doesn't have anywhere else to take a bath and it, and it smells bad and it and there's houses that are built out of trash. I've looked at that and I've said, how can God allow such pain and such hurt and such anguish in these people? Um, but I kind of like started to look at my life and like the life of my community. And I was kind of asking the question, well, what if we started asking, how could God allow us to be so distracted? Like, what if we changed the question to like, how could God let us be so affluent? Yes, it's horrible that we see this poverty, but we realize that Jesus says he's in the poor. They have to rely completely and totally and wholeheartedly on Jesus. And Jesus is contentment, and everything that I have is only temporary happiness. Ever since I was born, I mean, right out of the womb, my mom and my dad have been reading me Bible stories, and they have been praying with me. And they have been so great that as I've grown up, they've backed up and said, you know, you have to make this faith your own. I was sitting with a friend at lunch, and we were looking around at just the mums and the garters. We could totally use this tradition for something way, way cool. And we were like, what if we had somebody just donate the money they would have used to buy like a mom or garter and they bought like a button and it just said like I sent my mom to Africa or something. What if our white middle class high school
could do something with this excessive tradition to give people in the Sudan clean water. I don't think it matters whether you have a lot of money or not a lot of money. Every human being somewhere deep in their soul is looking for something more than what they see. What Jesus is to me is a is that ultimate thirst quencher, I guess. I mean, there's no other way to put it except that Jesus is the ultimate contentment for me. And uh, that was what was trying to be portrayed through this, through this project. My name is Blake Mankin, and I am second. He's not Muhammad Ali. He's not Jeff Bezos. He's not Charlie from TikTok. He is, in a lot of ways, an idealistic child, a teenager, and yet he is great in the kingdom of God. When you combine a lot of Blakes together. When you combine a lot of people who have decided that they are going to follow Jesus, they're going to follow the king of the kingdom and that they are going to live out, they are gonna be great in their individual lives. And when you get a bunch of those people together, you have something that is called the church, a colony of the kingdom of God here on earth. You're continuing with that metaphor of kingdom. You read in the book of Philippians this concept that the church or this gathered group of people who have decided that they are going to implement the values of the kingdom of God in the places that they live, work, and play, then that they're also going to do that together as a group. Um, and they're going to form a community together. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, it talks about this and describes this as Though our citizenship is not of this world, but that it's from another world, that it's from heaven, that our true citizenship belongs um, in the kingdom of God. And that as disciples or citizens of that kingdom, when we're here on this earth, which if you're watching this, you are, when we gather together, we are basically a colony of another kingdom. And the book of Philippians was written to uh, the, the church at Philippi. Philippi was a city that was set up as a Roman colony. And just a quick historical note, if you went to Rome and then you went to the very outskirts of like Macedonia, there would be a dramatic difference. Some would like feel like it's almost alien. Uh, the difference between the most highly technological advanced city of the day, Rome, with with uh, paved streets, coliseums, marble, all this amazing technology, aqueducts. And then you go into the, the, the boondocks and you've got dirt roads and uh, and wells that people have dug up They're They're just on a different technological level. It'd be like if we went to like some country um, uh, where there isn't running water or anything like that. And that's all they know. And we bring them here to the United States. Their mind would be like, wait, what are you talking about? In fact, I saw this one. This is an aside. I saw this one video where um, 
this missionary brought back a tribesman that he had been reaching, and they went to the grocery store, and the tribesman was like blown away at all the food in the grocery store, and that when they left, they didn't even have to pay money. They just handed them a little plastic card, and they gave it right back to them. So imagine that. And so what Rome would do is in these outskirt places would plant a colony with all the nice streets, with all the aqueducts, with all the nice technology. And so people around would say, wow, look at this outpost or this colony of the kingdom of Rome. And the same thing is true. This is the metaphor that Paul is using in Philippians, and it's the same thing for, it's true for us. We are citizens of a different kingdom. Listen to the first part of the sermon. We're not from this world. And our values of humility don't line up to the way in which you reach success and power and excellence the way the world sees it. And so instead, we are citizens of this different kingdom like Rome. We have been sent here and we come here and we gather together as a colony so that we can be a foretaste or a taste of what it's like to be in the kingdom of God. In the Roman scenario, a telltale sign of a settlement once being a Roman colony is that you can see there was a city center with a grid pattern. There are these telltale signs that archaeologists can look at and say, that was a Roman colony. The question for us is, what are the telltale signs of a settlement of the kingdom of God? What are our telltale signs One of the telltale signs is that when people come here and that when people interact with our community, not just us as individuals, but when they interact with us as a whole, they experience this kingdom value that the greatest here at New Hope Presbyterian Church are the servants. That the greatest here in this colony of kingdom of God is you. You are the colony rather than I know we have some physical structures and this is our base of operations where you're seeing me from right now. But a a colony isn't just its structures. It's the people and each and every one of us, not just the staff, not just the pastors, each and every one of us are living stones of this colony of the kingdom of God. Each And every one of you has been chosen by God. You are precious to him and you have been called into this colony of the kingdom of heaven as witnesses, as a taste of what that kingdom is about and what the values of the king are all about. First Peter talks about this. First Peter 2.4 says this, as you come to him, the living stone. Rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. What's a a spiritual sacrifice? The spiritual sacrifices um, are your prayers, your praises, your will, your entire body, your time and your talents and how you use your life. Romans chapter 12 talks about this, says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, to offer your life to the kingdom of God, 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Everyone, if you're hearing this today, you're a part of New Hope. Everyone is a part of this colony. And everyone who serves, everyone who humbles himself like a child to be great in the kingdom of God is part of our mission to seek and save the lost. Everyone who is a part of this colony is a link in the chain of someone coming to faith. If you ever heard this before, it's 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 it's. Another metaphor, kind of like the colony, it's the principle of the chain, which is basically every volunteer or everyone who is a part of our community who has said, I'm going to be great in the kingdom of God and I am going to serve and and find my place in the way in which I can do that. Every person is a link in a chain of of, of micro touches that happen to, to people as they experience the community. Every person is a link in a chain of someone coming to faith. It is not one thing. It is not one instant, but it is us together as servants, as, as a form of community evangelism that points people to Christ. So when people come here, whether it's in person or whether it's online, when they when a brand new person says something um, online and they say, hi, this is my first time here. And one of you interacts with them. You humble yourself to say, I, yeah, I'm just a regular churchgoer, too. And you say, hi, how are you? Like a like a child, not worried about anything. That is you being a part of this great chain of being. That is you being part of the colony of the kingdom of God. It's those who are watching the kids in the nursery that give people a chance to hear the gospel. It's those that are leading the musical worship that create an environment in which people can worship God and come to know him. It's those on the prayer team. It's those making sure all these tech things are working on Sunday morning. It's those who work with our students, those who set up and break down every Sunday during the middle of a pandemic. You get the idea, right? That when an outsider comes and they visit the kingdom of God, the colony of the kingdom of God, when we act as servants together, they get a taste of what it's like to be in the kingdom of God. I was at, uh, I've been in a number of churches and I've only been here for a little while, so I don't have a lot of great stories that I know these things are happening behind the scenes, but I've seen this happen and over and over and over again. And this is one of the primary ways in which people come to know Christ is they come and they experience what it's like to be in the community of God. Um, When I was in Florida, there was a young man. He was a student. I think he was like 15 or 16 years old. And he was invited by his girlfriend. This happens. I'm going to be honest. Uh, He was invited by his girlfriend, not a believer, but he was invited by his girlfriend to help out with VBS. And um Pretty uh, 99.9, 100% sure that the only reason this child, this kid um, came to VBS, uh, his name was Chris, was because he wanted to be around his girlfriend more. Now, Chris had some tech skills. Uh, he was he's, he's a young person, so he knows how to use PowerPoint and things like that. And so he was put on the VBS PowerPoint team. And an adult had volunteered to serve and to help watch children and to take care of kids and share Bible stories for a week out of their summer. And so she found this child kid and said, hey, you're going to be a part of the, the VBS tech team. 
And so he joined with three other high school boys, uh, three that were in our youth group. They had never met this kid before and not really talked to him very much before. And so they spent this time practicing this theatrical presentation of the Bible stories over and over again. And they created all these fun high tech things. And during the VBS week, the Bible team would go out to lunch and they would do other social things. And there was a mix of all sorts of personalities and backgrounds. And after hearing these children's Bible lessons presented to the children four times a day, Chris had many questions. And one day in, in the car, as the adult leader drove him on, he asked that if, if, if that leader, her name was Joanne, if she could pray with him. And they did. And then the next week he joined the youth group, went to a uh, youth conference where he publicly professed that he believes in Christ. There wasn't one individual. There wasn't one amazing sermon. It was servants of the living God united together as a colony of the kingdom of God. We come together. We humbly serve together. Not only because we can accomplish more for the kingdom of God together, but because in serving, we become more like the king of the kingdom. The last point, the king of the kingdom of God is we are called to be great in our own individual lives. The places we live, work and play to demonstrate our kingdom values as knights of the realm. We are called to come together and demonstrate these values um, that Jesus left for his disciples as a colony of the kingdom of God. But we don't take our eye off who is the king of the kingdom of God and who, of course, is the king. Who is the greatest? It is the greatest servant of the kingdom. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. Even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the king. And as the king, as the ultimate, as the greatest in the kingdom of God, he demonstrates what that means and what that looks like by literally laying his life down for you and I and for the disciples who belong to him. The night before he dies, he's again trying to get this this concept or this value to sink in with the disciples. He's washing their feet. And in Luke twenty two twenty seven, he says, who is greater? The one who is at the table, the one who's sitting at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? Yeah, but I am among you as one who serves. Jesus sets the model sets the stage, sets the standard for what it means to be great in the kingdom of God. And what does he say to his disciples? John 13, 15, he says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Wash each other's feet, lay your lives down for each other. Be servants. Verse 16, I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. In other words, if we are going to be followers of Jesus Christ, if we are going to be a colony of the kingdom of God, if we are going to be knights of the kingdom of God, then guess what? We have to follow the king of the kingdom of God. 
We are no greater than Jesus. And if Jesus can serve and demonstrate what it means to be great in the kingdom of God, can we not also? The king of this kingdom is the greatest servant. He is the one who, as Philippians 2.8 says, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. According to the values of our kingdoms, the kingdoms of this world, that would have been the end. He humbled himself. He served to the point of death. And his story would have faded away. In God's economy, however, this was the path to exaltation. The next verse in Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore, because Jesus was a servant, because Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus not only demonstrates the values of the kingdom of God with his life, but when this happens, he brings the kingdom to light to break forth in a new way when God raises him from the dead to the throne room of heaven. The highest of places and his disciples are given his spirit and the power to be his disciples, to be his church, to be his colony of the kingdom of God here on earth, just as it is in heaven. Jesus brings all of us into this new kingdom, this new family of adopted misfit children. Children who can do nothing to bring about our own status. All that we have and are comes from someone else. Children who seek greatness in this new reality, this new kingdom, not by escalating ourselves so that we are seen as worthy, but who demonstrate the kingdom value of humility and service, just like our master Jesus did, because we have already been made sons and daughters of the king, knights of the realm by the greatest servant, the greatest in the kingdom of God, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, please give us strength. Please give us wisdom. Please give us humility. As we go forward from here in our daily lives and in the places that we live, work, and play, when we gather together as a colony of the kingdom of God, may we, through the King Jesus, may our hearts be made soft. May we be made malleable like clay in your hands become more and more like your son, more and more great as we serve others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. As we conclude our time, let me just remind you, go to our website, go uh, sign up for our newsletter. Uh, if you would like to support our ministry and mission, all of our things are over there on the website. And thank you so much for your faithful contributions as we continue to work together as a colony of the kingdom of God. This is the way the storybook Bible um, is a storybook Bible. So they got they focus a little bit more on how awesome kids are. But this is what the, how that chapter ends. After the laughing and games, Jesus turned to his helpers, the children, and said, No matter how big you grow, never grow up so much that you lose your child's heart, full of trust in God. 
Be like these children. They are the most important in my kingdom. As you go forward from here, hear this blessing from 1 Peter 4.10. Each one of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen and amen. I'll see you all next week, every Sunday at 10 a.m., whether live or here online. Thank you again and have a wonderful, blessed week. Goodbye.